keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guests to yourself, no matter how wonderfully perverted they are. Go listen to the outro if you want to connect and enjoy. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyo Lee, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we talk about sex so we can have better sex, so we can make the world a sexier, more loving place. Our guest today is a 36-year-old androsexual cis female who uses she-her pronouns. She's submissive, into rope bondage and erotic photography, and sees creative and sexual energy as one in the same. Originally from Northern California, she's an artist who lives in Los Angeles. Welcome, Hather. Hi. Can you start off by telling us, today, if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shameometer with one being shameless and ten being so full of shame, where do you fall today? Shame isn't really showing up on the radar for me today. The sexual energy in my energy field right now is more like demanding and maybe a little bit angry. Okay, so that goes into my next question. What is your sex life right now? Can you give us a little bit of an overview and maybe a favorite part? Yeah, you mentioned I'm sexually submissive. I'm in a place of really wanting to deepen and explore that side of myself in the avenues of physical restraint maybe working with some power exchange stuff, releasing of control, and definitely curious about going into some more rope bondage stuff. I'm in a general like big transition in my life right now. So at the moment, my sex life is mostly solo, I would say. (laughs) But yeah, where I have my sights set is just deepening these certain avenues of submissive sexuality that are like really appealing to me. Awesome. And then can you tell us what does sexy mean to you? There are so many things in this life that we have created words for, and the words are such like clumsy containers for the actual thing. Like what I picture is like, I got these, they're like drawer dividers from Ikea and they totally collapse. So I feel like that's how words are. Like when they're in a context, which is like the drawer, when they're in a structure, they can be helpful and they can make sense. But if you pick them up and you try to like, take them out. The bottom is sort of floppy and sort of things get everywhere. And I think there are so many types of energy that we have these words for, but they're not necessarily able to fully encapsulate something. So all that to say, I think sexual energy or sexy, to me, it's like, it happens in my body. There's like some type of like responsiveness, sparkly downtown thing (laughs) that happens in my body. And I'm like, Ooh, that's sexy. And actually, yeah, I was doing a little lingerie shop recently in downtown LA and the like Santee alley stuff. They have some amazing like stripper shops, like really good. You know what I mean? They're like these like really high pleaser heels and all this fun stuff. And I can get a little overwhelmed. There's so much down there. And I also have this thing where when I'm there with money in my pocket, I'm like, I want to support the local guys. I want to support the like local thong sellers instead of buying it online. You know, I'm like, I really want Santee Alley to continue to exist. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I got money to spend. But I was like, okay, so your barometer, because there's so many appealing things that look nice. I was like, your barometer for what you're allowed to buy today is like, do you feel it in your pussy? Like when you look at this mm. item, like, do you feel it in your body? So I think there's like sexy to me is like, mm, there's like a, maybe a color and a flavor and a sensation to it, but it's sort of hard to encapsulate in words. Yeah. So, okay. Can you take us back to the very beginning? When do you first remember hearing about sex and what do you remember thinking and feeling about it? 
my friend had this like picture book that was like about sex and it was like illustrations and like the man had like a penis and the woman had a vagina, but they were like drawn. It was for kids. So I think it was like deliberately drawn in kind of this like clunky, chunky way. And I was like, oh God, sex seems like so weird and gross. But then (laughs) my own, (laughs) I was like, what? And I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about it a lot. So I was kind of on my own to like cobble together information I got from outside. But I also, I had a few friends, one in particular who I'm thinking of, and we were little, you know, we would do like sexy dress up. Like she had this like coconut bra and I put that on and I was like, it was like sexy to me. And I'm still to this day, I'm like into my boobs. But yeah, we would sort of like dress up and we would have these like fantasies that we would like imagine something happening to us or like a man watching or something. Actually, I think there's a cultural assumption that if children display signs of like sexuality or sexual interest, it means like they're being abused or something wrong is happening or they're seeing too much of the wrong type of media. But it's like, that wasn't the case for me. I was very like underexposed to any type of sexual information, but there was just something in me that to this day loves to dress up, loves the idea of being looked at, being seen, you know? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you mentioned that you didn't talk about sex very much in your household growing up. What was the vibe like? Was it pretty restricted? Were you religious? There wasn't really talking about it. There was kind of this uncomfortable tone that my mom would get in her voice when it came to talking about it. And she gave me like a few little tidbits around sex that continue to be supremely unhelpful to me to this day. (laughs) One of them was like, well, sometimes the man's going to want to have sex and you might not want to, and you just got to do it anyway. Which, yeah, which is like a particularly gnarly thing considering that she, for religious reasons, was not using birth control. So in her life, the way that functioned was like, I don't have a say about whether I get pregnant or not. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? So that's like something I've unpacked later in my adult life. And speaking of control or, or relinquishing control, like how much control are you just giving up habitually over your body and the way that your family unfolds? And it's like, well, okay, mm-hmm. God gets to decide this, not me. Like that's like mm-hmm. <laughs> very... I mean, talking about it, it's like, it's kind of extreme, I feel like. In some ways, it's an extreme surrender. And I wonder if for different people, it manifests differently. Like, I can understand how one personality that could manifest as like, oh, fuck, I'm a victim. I didn't have a choice. Martyr, martyr, martyr syndrome. And the other one is like, mm, fulfilling my life's destiny. And it just depends on what your natural personality is like, what story fits better for the personality. Like, if people want to be mamas, I don't know. I'm just noodling. I'm so glad that you said that because I am looking at it through the lens of what I want for my life and not through the lens of what she wanted and valued in her life. And she really did want to be a mom and she really did want to have a big family. It's not like she was like relinquishing some kind of control that she actually really wanted to have. I think she wanted to be doing that. Yeah. Wow. Dang. You're right. No, but what a cool reflection to to also just like hear kind of the generational growth. And for me, it's been a big deal for me to stand up and say, I love my family. They love me a lot. They've raised me so well. I'm so loved that I can now stand on my own and want something that's completely different that's maybe uncomfortable for them sometimes. Yep, totally. I feel like that particularly surfaces around sexuality. I think there are some other things with like less charge or less stigma around them where you're like, oh, I decided to be an artist. And they're like, yeah. okay, hope you can pay the bills. But we're not going to yeah. like avoid mentioning that yeah. at the dinner table, right? But I think, yeah, the sexuality thing. And I've thought about this for like, people who are like coming out to their family and saying like, I have sex with 
this type of person or like society has told me I'm allowed to have sex or be attracted to or have romance, whatever. It's not just sex, you know, that I'm allowed to express my sexuality in a certain channel. And I'm telling you that like the way my sexuality is most authentically expressed is not in the prescribed channel. And I've thought about like, it's unique to every situation, of course, with the individual. But I think one added layer to that is if you are in a society where just being sexual in the first place is already something that makes people a little bit squeamish, then you're actually, it's a double whammy you're coming out. You're coming out as a sexual person and coming out as how the sexuality manifests itself. Even if I'm like, I'm doing sexy time with like the type of person that Disney princess, you know, heteronormativity has prescribed, I'm still in a position to like when I bring a partner home or when I determine what I share and don't share, I'm in a position to be like out with being sexual, you know? Yeah. So, okay. A little bit of restriction at home. How did this affect your early sexual sense of self or, and, or development and, or experience? You know, I had a really bummer of a first kiss. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it? we were watching Batman Returns in the theater, like, with a group of people. I was in, like, seventh grade. He was, like, kissing me, and I was like, oh, this is really hot. And then he started feeling me up, and I didn't know that was a thing that people did to each other. And I was, like, really confused. And then he started, like, trying to unzip my pants, and I was like, no, no, no. And so my first kiss moment was a moment of having to like lay a boundary. And I think that is something that has, yeah. And I think that is something that has like echoed through my sexual development in a lot of different ways, like this kind of enforcer mentality. And actually, and he like never called me. It was like this gnarly thing happened. I had to draw a line and then Mm. I was rejected. So the kiss itself was nice. He had like a little bit of like preteen stubble. I still remember like that part was hot. But everything else was a fucking huge bummer. And I was in a school where the sexual education was like very half-assed and very like not gone into. But there was this radio show that saved my life. It's called Hibernia Beach Live. And it was on this radio station, Live 105, which is a Northern California, like San Francisco kind of Bay Area radio station. And it was every Sunday night and it was... Renee Rotten, which is like Johnny Rotten's daughter. And I think Johnny Rotten was in like the Ramones or something. She, so she had this like punk rock pedigree. So she was super cool. She had this really husky voice. And then there was a gay guy she would talk to. So it was a cis straight woman and a gay guy. And they would answer questions. It was like Loveline, but a little less heteronormative, a little more like queer centric. I would listen to it. I would stay up late on Sunday nights and listen to it like right, at, right by my ear. And I got exposed to all of these different perspectives. And I remember being like, isn't that cool? What, what yeah. And I remember being like, wait a minute, what if I'm gay? And when I was thinking about, I was like, I haven't even ever asked myself that question. Like, am I just what I've been told this whole time? And that kind of blew the lid off a lot of unspoken attitudes around like these sexual expectations, heteronormity, all that stuff. I was like, oh, hang on. That was in seventh grade. And it, piqued my interest in becoming more, much more proactive about my own sexual education. So later on, I like bought this book, The Good Vibrations Guide to Sex. And it's really, really good. It's still good. I still have my copy. I went in and highlighted all the bondage stuff. I was like, I want to try this. And I became kind of not an expert, but I became very well informed. And they have these great illustrations that were not ageist or like body type is or racist. They had like a lot of different like varieties of types of people in these illustrations. There was like old people. They're like all these different, you know, positions or examples of stuff. And I was like, oh, 
anal fisting is a thing. Who knew? Like, oh, you know, like there are these different ways that sexuality, it's its own topic. It's like its own major. So I took it upon myself to proactively educate myself and learn about sexuality in a way that I was not given. And so then it became when I was in my college dorm room, I was kind of the person people would turn to. I mean, I had more, I had oh more like, God. isn't that cool? I had like more I books. wish I'd known you in college. I know. I wish I'd known you too. Yeah. You could come ask me Q and A's about stuff. But yeah, people would turn to me about these questions and I have kind of a like, I don't know, Obi-Wan Kenobi meets one of the Muppets type of personality. I'm like, sort of like boppy and wise at the same time. So people like trust me and come to me and they kind of put me in that role. I like being in that role. And so I remember people coming to me and actually this person who was in my dorms, we're all young, we're trying to figure things out. I remember him coming to me and saying, what does it mean if your girlfriend is wearing black underwear? And I was like, what does it mean? I've thought about this moment a lot. Because later on, there was like a consent issue or like a maybe some type of gnarly situation with him and someone else. And later I was like, oh, my God, like, did I give the wrong answer about the? Could I have like prevented that? You know, it's not there's no point in looking back on it like that. But I think I said something. There's a deep internalization. I know it is. It is. Thank you. Thank you. You're right. But I think what I said was, well, black underwear doesn't show period stains. So there's a wide variety of reasons why someone might wear black underwear. Now I would probably say, if you're curious about someone's intentions with something they're doing, it's actually vital to ask. If you're not sure, you're allowed to ask. And I think that like the stigma around asking, around being curious, around either like you're expected to already know, you're expected to have these mysterious signals like underwear color or something. And like that stuff is what leads to these like murky situations where people can feel really violated. I mean, there are many different situations, but maybe it wasn't that person's intention to violate you. Maybe they just didn't know, but they didn't have the tools to communicate proactively in a way that would prevent that kind of thing from happening. So anyway, that's something that I have thought a lot about, but yeah, so I became somewhat of an authority and that helped me with my own sexuality. Like I think a friend of mine in high school, I still hadn't had an orgasm. And my friend was like, what? And she was like, I'm going to order you a vibrator. This can't go on. Like you need some help. So she ordered me this little vibrator. I would like, you know, put on Fiona Apple, light a little candle, you know, after the shower. And I just was like being with my body. And eventually I was able to orgasm. Okay. Hold on. I want to get some time posts. So we have seventh grade. You has a gross first kiss. When does good vibrations discovery happen? Is that before or after your friend got you that vibrator? So kiss, good vibrations, college. Okay. And in those formative years, like I'm curious if any of the things that you were talking about college-wise with consent and misconstruing things, if you have personal experience with that, or if there's just like other stuff that was like delicious before we get to those stories in your discovery of your own body or your first discoveries of partners' bodies. Actually, yeah. So in high school... It's interesting to me that I felt more comfortable talking about somebody else's murkiness around consent, and I didn't immediately go to my own. But my high school boyfriend really wanted to have sex, and I wasn't ready. And so I ended up going down on him, and it wasn't really fun for me. And I also, like, I think it was rooted in this kind of narrative that my mom had given me about, like, this dutifulness or this responsibility to like the male orgasm. So I wasn't really exploring my pleasure. I was just like going past my own boundaries to try to take care of him. And then 
after he came in my mouth, he gave me orange soda to get rid of the taste. And somehow that story got around school and someone in the hallway made a comment to me about orange soda. Oh, fuck. Okay. Do you remember approximately how old you were? High school? Yeah, I would have been like 15 or 16. And it sounds like the person that talked to you about orange soda was not saying it nicely as if it was a delicious thing. Nope. It was like they had something to use against me. So how did that affect your desire to have more sexual experiences or what what happened after that? How did it affect your unfoldings? I think it just reinforced the idea that me being in a sexual situation is the same thing as me having to reinforce a boundary or having a boundary be disregarded. So the way that manifested itself was that the idea of like my virginity, which is speaking of words that are like very clumsy containers for other things, that my virginity became this kind of important cornerstone for me about something that I wanted to like guard and protect, even though I wasn't invested in a lot of the like purity narratives around that. And I was really interested in exploring and in my own pleasure, I felt kind of guarded about letting somebody in to my body, literally in. And I wanted it to feel right. I wanted it to be good. And I I just didn't want to be in a situation where I was going to experience pressure. And I guess I was associating getting in a sexual situation with being pressured rather than having it be more of a mutual conversation. Yeah, because that was your experience so far. That makes a lot of sense. What happened along the way? Can you tell us a little bit about like what your next early experiences were like? When did it start to feel good? Yeah, so I had a pretty amazing, this was a pretty transformative experience for me. So the school that I went to had I don't think they do this anymore, actually, but they have this dance that's like supposed to be about like safe sex awareness, but it actually leads to like a lot of hooking up, but they hand out a ton of condoms. So I don't know if they're still doing it, but I went to that dance and then there was an after party and it was like orgy. Oh, we're going to orgy. And there was a room set up to be the orgy room and there were candles all around the perimeter. There was like a futon in the middle. Wait, is this high school or college? This is college. We're talking about college. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, cool high school. I know. (laughs) There I was, the orgy room. And somehow I ended up in the orgy room with this guy who I was like, you're very attractive. He was like a little older. He was, I think he might've been like a grad student or something. Very cute. Really nice, like soft lips, whatever. And we had this amazing experience that was all about my pleasure. It was all about receiving. And there's these candles around. And like, it was sort of like, is anyone else going to join? But then nobody did. So we just had the like orgy room to ourselves. He did not pressure me to reciprocate. He just focused on me. And it was awesome. And I woke up the next morning with this golden sparkly feeling. I remember describing it that way. I was like, oh my God, casual hookups are amazing. I was like, I don't need a prior emotional connection. This is awesome. I feel so good. Later, I mean, I was in a position to kind of navigate some of the feelings of attachment or attraction that came after that, because that was new for me. The idea of like, oh, we don't have an emotional connection necessarily, but we have a very meaningful sexual connection, but it may or may not continue. You don't have an agreement, whatever. So that was a little bit tough. I had some maybe like sad puppy dog eyes and I saw him around after that a little bit, but it wasn't traumatic. It was kind of like a big learning experience. And I learned 
I can be the recipient. The focus can be on me. I don't have to do something I don't want to. And there are people who are interested in really giving me pleasure and I'm allowed to really receive that. So like, yeah. So like what a rad turning point for me, I think. And then after that, I was still like trying to figure out like, how am I going to lose my virginity? How am I going to lose my virginity? And I met somebody at a party and I was like, you're hot. This is the one I'm like choosing you. And then he lived in like a different town and I had to like come up with some excuse and drive over to meet him. And then we ended up in his room and I sat him down and I was like, I'm a virgin and I would like to have sex with you. And he was like, Oh, okay. Um, are you sure? Or he was seemed a little hesitant like that because I maybe had framed it in that way or been so explicit about what I was doing there that there was some type of pressure on him to like perform or create some kind of experience for me. And I was like, no, 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 this is, let's not get it confused. I'm not giving you something. I'm asking to have an experience. And I want, it's important to me that you know what that experience is that I'm having. I haven't done this before. You know what I mean? Like I want some patience and some grace from you. And I want to, you know, I wasn't saying all those things, but my intention was sharing that with him was to say like, Hey, I'm new at this. Can we work together? Can we collaborate? I'm not going to have like a secret agenda that's like, oh, like, please do this thing for me, but I'm not telling you that that's what's happening for me. Like, I didn't want to conceal myself in that way from him. Again, there wasn't a big, long prior relationship. It was just a strong connection that I felt. And that ended up feeling really good for me as well. But I think I'm realizing a pattern in both of these like positive experiences that I had, which is that I had a very positive sexual experience that was divorced from emotional connection. Wait, so just to be really clear, did he say yes? Yeah, he did. And it was, yeah, it was fun. And I think I felt empowered in that experience because I had invited it and I had asked for it. And we were both on the same page about what was happening, which is like, this is my first time we're doing this together. Like it was a collaboration. Okay. And so that fills us in on then the connection you're making about oh, I had this really good experience or these couple good experiences with people who I wasn't in a committed relationship with. And I had these like not so great experiences with people that were supposed to be in that relationship where we supposedly take care of each other. Yeah, dude. Wow. You're like, really, this feels like a session. Like we're we're uncovering. So this is like archaeology. I'm like, oh, interesting. Looking back on it. (laughs) So how did that shape the sex of your 20s? What happened? I moved to New York and I met someone who was female bodied, self-identified butch lesbian. And I was very, very excited about her. And that's where the like androsexual thing comes in because she had a lot of masculine energy and masculine qualities, but I was into the fact that she was a woman. I was like down. So the sex was really fun, but the dynamic was kind of a like savior and victim sort of thing. She had like a lot of Mm -hmm. emotional stuff and I was like trying to be the stable one or trying to sort of save her. But yeah, the sex was really hot. But yeah, I would say there there wasn't necessarily a feeling of safety in the relationship coming from her. Like if there was a feeling of safety, it was coming from me. And then after we broke up, I remember saying to myself, I don't just want sex. I want love. And that is when I met my partner who I was with for five years during my twenties. And I guess once I made that pivot within myself, the person just showed up, which I think is kind of how it works. Not that it's that simple. So yeah, we met and actually that relationship initially started in the framework of 
being just a hookup, but it developed from there. That partner was very body-based. He was someone who was really interested in a lot of modalities that involve like being present in your body. So that was really wonderful and lovely. And we had a very strong sexual connection and speaking to each other physically, speaking to each other through the body came very naturally in that relationship because it was something that I think we both valued and both wanted to explore. And again, you know, there's only so far you can get with words. I think that being physically connected with someone, physically intimate with someone is such a rich terrain of intimacy, such a rich terrain of connection. And it's its own whole language. It's body language. It is as nuanced as anything that has like a syntax and an alphabet. The physical aspect of it was very integrated. It was integrated with the way that we functioned as a couple. And the relationship kind of like ran its course and it was time. I think we both knew it was time to part ways. And the idea of like a breakup not having to happen with emotional violence or hatred towards the other person. I even hate the word X. Like a friend of mine uh, told me he doesn't ever refer to me with that word. And I I don't with him either. He says my former partner. (laughs) I say former master. But I think the emotional like recovery from that process took me kind of a while just because I had developed such a strong connection with him. So it kind of took me a while to feel ready to invite other people into my sphere. And all this time, I was really, really interested in BDSM. I was really interested in sexual submissiveness, exploring sexually submissive energy. I was always turned on by rope and you know bondage, all that stuff. I just always thought it was so hot. And I was always kind of confused that other people weren't. I was like, this is what is hot. Like, you know what I mean? You know, when you like grow up in a certain environment and you're like, oh, we always have this at the table. And it's like, well, no, not everybody does though. Like maybe that's cool. Maybe that's something you could introduce, but it's not as integrated with people as you might think it is just because of how integrated it is for you. Was there a moment that you like discovered that in any interesting way? It was something like in the recent, like last couple of years where I had met someone and I was texting them and I was like, yeah, I did this rope suspension and I sent him a picture and he was like, weirdo. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? First of all, oh, oh, go no. get a life elsewhere away from me. This is, you know, thank you for saving me the trouble of like interacting with you further. But no, thank you, judgment. <laughs> I'm like, how is this not the hottest thing you've ever seen? That sounds like an uncomfortable person. Through all of those experiences that I just described, I had this kind of fantasy that like some partner who was super into BDSM and wanted to tie me up would just like magically waltz into my life and I wouldn't have to actively pursue it. And that has not been the case. It turns out that, you know, not everyone is into this stuff and an even smaller number of people are actually communicating about that or or out about that or whatever. So if you want to find someone who like, you may have a wonderful experience where you just happen upon someone who also like shares those interests, but if you don't, you have to go out and find it. So really the jump for me where I was able to kind of launch into more embracing this side of myself happened within the last few years. It was pre 2020. I think it was 2019. And I started to do um, erotic photography. And for me, erotic photography was kind of this gateway drug into me expressing my kinkier side. Because before that, I 
wasn't really sure how to go about finding people to do this with. But I am familiar with finding people to creatively collaborate with. So that part came pretty easily. So I would take these spicy pictures and the consent conversations, I think with photography came very naturally to me as well, because again, that's something that I do in my creative life is talk about like planning. What are we going to do? How is it going to go? And that's something that kink and any type of like project management (laughs) have in common, which is talking about what are the objectives? What are the interests? What are we trying to do? How are we going to do that? And then executing it and then talking about it afterwards. And aside from all the like yummy, delicious, physical and emotional and brain chemical aspects of kink that are so fun for me, I'm also really, really into the explicit communication part. That part is awesome to me, right? And I feel like some of the communication tools that people use in kink would be just as beneficial, even if you're not spanking someone's butt with a whip, like talking about interests and, you know, being honest with yourself and with your partner about like the type of energy that you want to evoke. Because even if you've had sex a bunch of times before, or you've been connected in a bunch of other ways, how are you feeling today? What do you want today? What do you want to get out of it today? And same thing with aftercare. I think the whole, the way that in kink aftercare is so integrated in part of the negotiation process It's like, why don't we have aftercare for like regular old sex? Like, what about for like a hookup? Can we talk about like afterward, I need space. Afterward, I like to be held. Okay, can we budget in some time for me to be held and then you can have your space? Or like afterward, the next day, sometimes I feel sad. Can you call me? Like, these are normal things that people do in kink that if you do it in a vanilla hookup, it might come across, I don't know how it would come across. Like, would it come across as... Well, you know how often I get rejected. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's not... Well, and it's just, it, that's not a reason to not do it. Because it's only by those of us, like, continuing to try to do it and, like, weathering the deep discomfort of that. That's the only way I think we can reach critical mass to normalize that. Is when we're all just like, actually, no, fuck it. That's And I think that is happening. But I would like to hear any personal experiences you have around kink or the photo shoots or the communication, like specific ways that made you feel specifically delicious. So I think I'll start with communication. So one of the things that I was doing with photographers before I would work with them would be to exchange images. And that is actually another way that this theme keeps coming up about how language can be a clumsy way to encapsulate experience. So instead of saying like, I want to try to capture this kind of energy, or I like a position where like my ass is prominently featured in the photo, like just being like, Hey, I like this photo. I think it's really hot. I like X, Y, and Z about this photo. I like the lighting. I like the angle. I like that you can't quite see everything, but it's still like very overtly, you know, sexual in its energy. And being able to give someone a visual about like what kind of energy you're trying to encapsulate, I think was such a helpful tool because then the other person could send something back. Like, what about this? What about this? And then there were times when I would get sent something and I was like, "Ah, I don't like that one. (laughs) I don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Which is so, so helpful because there's a third party there, which is the reference image. So you're not like rejecting the person or their sexuality or their idea, you're just saying no to a creative direction, this image, it's not directed at them. So I think that's kind of a helpful buffer to be able to be really, really explicit and clear. And the best shoots that I had were when we did that beforehand. And one of the photographers who I continue to work with, he sent me like a Dropbox collection of images beforehand 
And I figured out that Dropbox has a feature where you can heart stuff and comment on stuff, yeah. which he didn't know. So I was going in and being like, ooh, I like this one. Ooh, I like this one. Ooh, I like this one. And these were images that he had collected over time that he really liked or wanted to emulate or do his version of. And so that was this amazing pathway to being able to see where our interests overlapped. So I think that has helped me to go into environments where it isn't focused on photo, where it's more focused on like, we're going to be doing rope or what have you. And using some of those tools of like, maybe looking at some photos that they might have posted of prior work and being like, Ooh, I like this particular tie. I like this harness or, Oh, I'm you know really interested in this using that visual image to give the person something to go off of. Because what I realized through my many years of being a kink wallflower and just like waiting for someone to ask me to dance was yeah. that like, as a submissive, you are not passive. Submissive does not mean passive. You may be passive in a moment, in a scene, passively receiving, if that's a dynamic you enjoy. But on either side of that bookending that, you have to be proactive about finding the right partner, about being honest with yourself about your own needs and then communicating those needs in a way the partner can hear and receive. You have to track your own personal progress around what you're enjoying and keep an updated file box in your head about what maybe I used to like this. Now I don't like this anymore. Maybe I liked this before. Now I want to do even more of it or whatever it is. So it's still work, you know, the fun kind of work, but it still requires being engaged with it. And I think also just because you're invoking a particular power dynamic in a scene or even in a relationship overall, doesn't mean that person doesn't also need support. And I think like for yes. a rope top, right? So for a rope top to see me responding to something that they've posted and being like, Ooh, that's hot. I think that's really good. That also gives them a sense of support and enjoyment and receptivity from my side, which is a gift for them. So that's some of the ways that I think that has surfaced for me. And I recently kind of figured out, I know I, I, this is kind of a contradiction because I said, I consider photography to be my gateway drug into kink. And in fact, it is, but also the photography itself is also a kink. I get a lot of enjoyment just out of having my picture taken. I get a lot of enjoyment out of being able to be seen and witnessed and feeling the energy and having that eye on me, which also feels empowering in a way because a lot of the creative work that I've done and a lot of the theory and books that I've read and stuff that I'm interested in interrogates and questions this idea of like the male gaze. I mean, I know it's a little bit of, that's an older article at this point, but the idea that like the dude is the one with the camera the lady is the one posing. The dude is the one with the paintbrush. The lady is the one splayed out on the couch. Like a lot of that paradigm in the past hasn't necessarily been empowering for the woman, mm -hmm. but I found a way for myself to kind of reclaim that like muse relationship and say like, yeah, I want to be the one being looked at. Look at me. Look at me some more. Look at me do this. You know, look at that part of me. I'm choosing to show this. And actually I had the first shoot that was crossed the line from being just a shoot into evoking some erotic energy. Just a shoot. Just a shoot. Maybe, maybe a voyeur versus did you break the touch barrier? What's the specific Oh, what's the line? That's line. a great question. It was energetic. I didn't, nobody touched me, but I think the energy went from a person taking a picture and a person moving and modeling to erotic energy, erotic and sexual energy 
coming into it, which is not always, it's not always there. Right. But I remember at that shoot, or I remember afterward, the photographer telling me, I walked in, I had all my bags and my stuff. I had sweatpants. I was just, you know, my street version of myself. And within about Mm -hmm. 10 minutes, I had transformed myself into this film noir vixen with these like ruby red lips and this total like sex bomb kind of vibe. And he was sort of floored that I was able to turn that on so quickly and so effectively. And that was a very interesting reflection for me because that is something I want to be able to do. I want to decide Mm -hmm. when and how my sexual energy is perceived. Obviously I'm not totally in control of someone else's perception, but I want to decide when I flip on the light switch, you know what I mean? That's what feels fun for me. I have a lot of vulnerability around just walking around in the world, displaying femininity or attractiveness, which is interesting because I identify as being very feminine. Sometimes it feels really scary to me to walk around in the world. Like, I don't know when the last time is that I left the house wearing a dress, even though I like Mm. dresses, you know what I mean? So sometimes I think about like some of these stories that I've told in ways that I didn't feel empowered in my sexuality, influencing my fashion sense, even though I love the way that I dress. But I think this idea of being able to, that I'm the one to flip the switch and say, look at me sexually, see my sexuality, witness it, capture it. Let's make some cool fucking art. Like, I'm going to enjoy this as an artist and as a sexual being or versus being like, nope, you don't have access to that right now. Interesting. A lot of themes are coming up through me talking through this about visually, like what is someone seeing and witnessing? Like, are you seeing this photo or you're seeing me in a certain light? I want to piggyback on that because the theme that I'm picking up on it is very. I'm going to use shared language that you and I have and encourage everyone else to go read Unbound by Kasha Urbaniak. I'm hearing so much that you are feeling empowered when you're in touch with your desire, which through her framework, we can understand as the submissive lens turned inward. So the focus is on you and your desire and what you want. And it sounds like if I'm understanding you correctly, that in sharing that with your creative collaborators, whether that is just photography or is the erotic energy exchange and or includes touching at any point that is the thing that makes you feel powerful because there is a huge difference it's not just about getting touched or not touched it's about am i getting what i want is my desire being met and that's super hot to be like yeah give me your attention this is what i want and then to get it just the way you want it yeah you're right like it's not actually about if a particular if like the touch barrier gets crossed or not because I don't ever have to be touched in an erotic photo shoot in order to turn on the erotic energy full blast and for that yeah. to be at play and part of what's happening. Yeah. So speaking of your desires, what remains to be explored or what have you done that you love that you haven't talked about yet? Or what is just noodling in your fantasy mind right now? I have done a very small handful of rope suspensions and a pretty small handful of just rope sessions overall. And I love it so much. <laughs> rope suspension is so juicy. I don't remember where this was that I, years and years ago, I can't even place this on the timeline, that I stumbled on this. It was a shibari book, a Japanese like rope bondage book. And I was like, what in the fuck is this? It was like, some woman is in a library. She's like tied up or some like you know, young woman in like a kimono, but like her boobs were out. I was like, oh my God, like I need more. I don't know what this is, but I need more. You know, I'm a creative being. I love something that has a visual element to it. But what's so like rad and delicious about suspension in particular is that it hurts 
and it's beautiful from the outside. And I feel beautiful and being witnessed in that pain. And there's something really pleasurable and comforting about your body being suspended. But the body being suspended is happening at the expense of your physical comfort because this rope is a very small little thing and you have a lot of weight that's not being equally distributed, that's being distributed over a very, very small space. So the feeling of lightness and levity of the rope suspension is matched or coupled with being in discomfort that you know you like won't be able to hold for that yeah. long necessarily. So that's something that I have wanted to deepen and explore a little bit more. And if you're dealing with people's bodies and like hoisting people off the ground, that is something that requires years of study, years of effort. And so again, it's like, you have to seek this out. You have to find people. And it's not like everybody who's also interested in this will also necessarily be interested in me or have chemistry with me and vice versa. So finding the right, I would call it a collaborator in that case. I mean, people say the language, you know, is like rope top, but I think a collaborator, someone I could work with and grow with, that would be really dreamy because I think it's something that you can develop over time. You can deepen over time. If we go to the wildest version of this fantasy, where you find a collaborator that you have some chemistry with, is it enough for you or is the desire met by simply being suspended and or photographed or witnessed? Or would you want to get like fucked while suspended or not, you know, like played with? (laughs) I'm doing gestures into both holes at both ends. (laughs) That's a great question. There are a lot of rope bottoms who never integrate overtly sexual touch with a suspension process. For me, I mean, shit, I love in bondage porn, like it's really fun to see people like all tied up and dangly and then it's like, you're at what angle? How do we get in there? You know, I would be open to exploring that, but I don't think that has to happen in order for a suspension to be enjoyable. Because I had one suspension experience where I was being suspended and there were two people helping me and it was euphoric. It was just so wonderful. It was a peak experience for me. Yeah, I just felt so held, so cared for, so loved. And one of the people who was tying me kept saying, you don't have to do anything. You can just let go. He was like enforcing. Yeah, he was enforcing this idea that I didn't need to work. I could just allow. And that was so liberating and beautiful for me. So yeah, I think for specifically for rope suspension, I don't think I need the like overtly sexual touch to be integrated with it, but I'm open to trying it. It sounds fun. Oh, thing, I didn't say need. I said in your wildest version. Yeah, in my fantasy, wildest, sure. Okay. Because the, the closest I've come is to a sex swing that's, you know, one of the kinds that just hangs out of the middle of the ceiling. That was hot because I couldn't do anything. And it was with a partner who's vanilla, but like I got to watch us fuck in the mirror and then we had another friend watching us. So that's the closest I have come and it was super hot. So I'm just like, if I were in your shoes getting suspension, I would definitely also want to get fucked, but I'm a touch whore. Yeah. No. Oh my God. I mean, absolutely. I think it's so interesting to look at the way that I budget for pleasure. Like maybe I can be kind of a cheapskate. I'm like, oh no, 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 oh, I don't, I yeah, don't we're just need fantasy. the, yeah, we're just, fantasies have yeah, no in, budget. In my yeah. fantasy, well, I don't really need it in my fantasy. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, You're already suspending me. You're working so hard already. Don't mind me. I'll just be over here. <laughs> That voice that's like, oh, there's not enough or like, oh, it's going to take too much time. Like that's the voice that gets really quiet when I'm in rope. That's why I love it so fucking much. Well, that's why I'm turning my OnlyFans into a place where I just practice sharing my desires. And since I recently came up with that intention, I have not posted. (laughs) 
<laughs> because I'm terrified to say what I want. But that's but I've decided that I will start in February at the very latest. So that's why I do it because I need practice verbally expressing my desires. And I can't help but wonder if not to put blame upon myself, but I, you know, submissives are just as responsible for relationships. And I don't know that I communicated as much as I really wish I would have. And there could be many reasons for that. So what were you about to say before I asked you the follow-up question? What else was I? Oh, what else do I want to do? Super into a like kidnapped and then gangbang fantasy. <laughs> Can I come? Can we, I want to go. You'll be in the back of the car with me. And we'll be like, we have like, what is it? Duct tape over. We're like in the back. No, I, yeah, that's, that would be really fun. I mean, oh my God. My producer brain was about to be like, so many logistics. No, we're fantasizing right now. My producer brain was like, we could wear female condoms so we wouldn't have to worry about condom switching in between and we could just get fucked. Dude. But then it's not safe for their cocks, but their cocks are more safe than our pussies. So, you know. Yes, they are. Mm. That's a great outdoor, indoor, in a forest and a warehouse open. It's at like an art gallery kind of like kinky <gasps> event. There's like a platform. Yeah, there's yeah. like other stuff happening. There's like a projection. I think, but it's in a side room. I think it's in a separate yeah. room. Like you have to go in there and then you're like, ooh, what's happening in here? I love the idea if we turn that into an offering, this will probably never happen, but an offering where like, you know, up to four or five kidnappees could get picked up that night and you have to be at home in a certain, a certain window you're going to get kidnapped like between three and 6 p.m. and you don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I watched, I watched a video where they showed like there's this dominatrix who specializes in kidnapping fantasies and it's like mm-hmm. she gets all this information from the person beforehand and it has to be at a time when they're not like at work or whatever, but it's still a surprise for them and it was a ton of work. I'm sure it was crazy expensive, but that's like her whole gig is the kidnapping fantasy. I was like, damn girl, good for you. You really found a niche. <laughs> wow. That's See, that's my problem. I don't want to have a niche. I want bucket list everything. Okay. Any other fantasies or like toys you want to play with or thoughts on group sex or sex parties? Like where's your head at with that stuff? Yeah, I'm into the idea of like being an offering at just like a small house party in an apartment. Fun. Like maybe yeah. maybe in a French maid outfit, like, but that's a little annoying to me, but there's something about it still. If it was the right party vibe. If it was the right party vibe. And I think too, because I feel like sort of silly about expressing myself in overtly or conventionally feminine ways doesn't necessarily feel safe for me. There's like this whole sissification fantasy where it's like a male bodied person gets like all dressed up maybe against their will seemingly and like a dress or something. And I'm like, I want that. I want sissification, but it's different. It functions differently for me because I'm a cis woman, but like, I would like to be like forced to like wear something frilly, like, and just not have a choice about it. To have a dom that forces you to like dress up like the girliest girl. Exactly. And I, there's, yeah. And I have no choice about displaying and expressing this overtly conventionally, you know, feminine side of myself. That's there. It's a part of me. I just hide it most of the time because a lot of times it hasn't felt safe. Any other fantasies that you want to touch on or talk about porn or sexting or nudes or toys that you love? The nudes thing is interesting because I think that I really enjoy sending nudes. I really enjoy it. And I think that sometimes there can be a one-way street around consent when there needs to be a two-way street. Meaning I, as the person sending the nudes... Or as being a cis woman, like I could assume that my like male body partner is somebody who automatically wants that. 
just because of cultural narratives about who's always horny and who's like, well, kind of holding back a little bit. When in fact, I think what is actually more balanced and evolved is to look at it and say like, are you in the mood for this? Do you want to see this right now? Because I'm doing something that I want to be doing, but do you want that? And let's see if there was anything else. Oh, just a recommendation that if anybody like wants to dip their toe into some bondage porn, check out the Pope on kink.com. Everything he does is wonderful. And his name is great. (laughs) Is there anything else about your sex life right now? Wait, there was a story that you were going to share with me that you texted me about. Let me see. I want to, I actually want to look up what this is because I got looking forward to it. Oh my God. I'm so glad we remembered it. Okay. So. There I was, Burning Man. Burning Man is a festival that's in the desert, but the shape of the way the tents are set up is circular. It's these concentric circles, but it's like a C shape. So then there's the open space out in the I middle. No, it was a circle. Yeah, Burning Man is a circle. Is that why people always ask me if I go? Maybe. I don't know. I, but yeah, it's these concentric rows and it's like the way that it's set up, it's in a dry lake bed. It's actually not a desert. It's a dry lake bed. So the sand that's underneath you isn't actually sand. It's called playa. And if you pour water on it, it gets this crackly surface like dry clay. So I'm sharing all of that environmental information because it's a total echo chamber for energy. It's a maximum strength manifestation scenario. So like people tell these stories where it's like, you have this, this was a story, actually, someone had this friend, they had a suitcase full of puppets they needed to hand off to the friend. They didn't know where she was camping. Phones aren't working, whatever. They were like, well, I'm just going to go to center camp. That's right in the center of the circle. I'm going to go to center camp with these puppets. And they sat there for a while and the friend walked by. And it's like, there are thousands of people at this thing, but like you just echo back, whatever is going on gets echoed back to you so strongly. Yeah. So I was there with a friend. Sometimes you'll go in these bigger like themed camps or whatever or something, but I was there camping with one friend and we happened to camp next to these two hot young gentlemen, Canadians. So a lot of people set up very elaborate stuff for their camps and they prepare for it all year. We went to Target and got Hello Kitty tents, Hello Kitty little kid tents. So we had two Hello Kitty princess tents with like little turrets and flags on top of them. And then a Hello Kitty gazebo in the middle. And we were Hello Kitty camp. And we were like, that's all. Oh my God. And there were these like hunkalicious dudes right nearby. And one of them, he had this tattoo on his delicious bicep. And I was like, oh, nice tattoo. And he was like, that's a memorial tattoo for my sibling who died. And I was like, oh, I actually also lost a sibling. So there's that like magic. I was like, kismet kind of feeling at the end of the week, we finally had sex in the Hello Kitty tent. And you can, of course, hear everything because fabric does fuck all to block sound. And that was actually a first experience of masochism for me. I'm just remembering this now. He had these kind of like pointy teeth and he was like biting my thighs like as hard as he could. And you know, there's this threshold in pain and sex where it's like, ooh, and then then you're like, ooh, and then you're like, ow, 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 ow. And then beyond that, ow, 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 there's this like, oh, there's this like endorphin thing, you know? So that's like the spectrum. So I was just like deciding to like roll with it and be like, I'm going to let this person bite my inner thighs as hard as he wants. I don't think he's going to take off a chunk of them. I'll probably stop them if it feels like that. But he was just like biting, 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 like caresse. And I was like screaming. It was amazing. The next day I had these bruises on my (gasps) inner thighs that looked like I had been hit with a baseball bat, like really intense (laughs) bruises. 
But the best part of that story was I went back home after that because I was in college. That was like near the end of being in college. I came home and I was like getting up to pee or something in the morning and I was wearing like underwear and a shirt and you could see my thighs. And my mom saw me and she looked down and she was like, what happened to you? And I was like, oh, um, 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 I fell on my bike. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. <laughs> That's amazing. And I am... Almost positive she does not remember that because she blocks out stuff that like she's like <laughs> it's like my yes. inner thighs are like bruised the fuck out like wow. So is there anything else we should know to give us kind of a complete ish overview of your sex life right now? I think I am just in a place of really embracing receiving and safety, and both of those things feel really really important and like really healing for me beautiful any specific hopes for your sex life going forward that you want to plant seeds of here today to help us all root for for you integration just having my sexual self be integrated with my whole self Mm -hmm. having that be part of me rather than having it be maybe compartmentalized is that the big budget answer What's something outrageous? What's an outrageous big wish for yourself? It could be really specific and doesn't have to come true. How about like a rope suspension over a river? Ooh. <laughs> I have no idea how that would happen, but I we would build it on a boat and then we would take you to a bridge and get attached and then the boat would float away. Yep. That's how it'll happen. Yeah. Or you can, yeah. If you can climb, if you can like rappel down like on a bridge and you can, I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff. Or in a giant warehouse and we bring in the pool so it's perfectly still. And then we have the cool, we have like a catwalk around the top. Obviously it's a circle. And then you could get really cool reflection shots down into the water. I like it. Lastly, if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? I would say to my very young self, my child self, that what you're doing when it feels good, that's good and that's okay. And that's allowed. And then to my preteen self, I would say, you don't ever have to do anything you don't want to do. And I would repeat that advice to my high school self. (laughs) And I would add on, you're entitled to your own pleasure. Mm. And Sharing your sexual energy with someone is a gift in itself, and you don't have to go outside of what you want to do in order for that to be true. And then in my 20s, I would say, go find a dom, because it's not going to happen on its own. You got to do that yourself, cowgirl. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you do just stumble into one. That's true. Sometimes you do. I stumbled into one. Kind of. Like, I'd had the thought in my mind. I did the barest minimum. Like, I got lucky so fast. So I just want to put the hope out that maybe it doesn't have to be hard if we get specific. Do you have a sex question for me? What's your big budget sex wish right now? Oh, right now? So it's the latest iteration of Mission 69, which culminates in a ring of play ships. Each one is themed for like, one is a piss trailer. One is a rope for suspension thing. One, you know, like an array of specific different kinky trailers. And they all round up at Hotel 69 or maybe Nova 69, or I don't know what I want to call it, but like the oasis in the middle of the desert. And it's a magical space that is 
sort of like a brothel, but we probably won't be able to get a new brothel license. So maybe it's more just like an erotic theater. You know, it really is the full service creativity resort space that makes it so like there's a safe space for family members to come and stay in that building that's shaped like a six and it's six stories tall. And then there's like the grown-ups only one is the one that's shaped like a nine. And you can only tell from looking at the desert because looking at it, they just look like beautiful swirlies and there's circles everywhere. And there's like safety and the kids get safe schooling and teaching like nice social skills like it's sex camp for everyone but like obviously age appropriate family appropriate education appropriate creativity forward and i would like to be able to in the adult spaces like have a whole floor where i'm allowed to make whatever art i want where i walk around at certain hours where like at certain hours people that are trusted you know there's some sort of like integrated technology membership thing and then people can come in and they can just be like are you ready to fuck because i would only be in there at certain times where i would and then maybe i could and then maybe i could finally have my gangbang that's like my billions of dollars in budget one that i'm working on raising money for like one little step at a time so uh, if anyone wants to contribute to that mission69.org but my biggest sexual fantasies really have become integrated with my work and i think you know the smaller big budget one is a dom who wants to do that whole life journey with me. If I'm going partnership, it would have to be that route. Everything else is like, I just want someone to fuck me so good that I feel relaxed. Like, I just want to feel relaxed. That is what I miss. Hather, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Yay, thank you for having me.